Does anybody know what Ryan's playing right now, by the way? What is it? So some people are saying Charlie Brown. Some people are saying uh, uh, Christmas time is here. I, I want to hear some more. I'm just going to listen for a second. with this movie. Uh, a lot of people did. Uh, so we just, well, we've watched it before, but we, we watched this last night actually at our house. It's on YouTube, by the way. Um, so we watched it in our house and uh, it, it was great to share the, the, the music and the fun and it's really funny. Uh, one thing that was really fascinating to me and why, why I asked Ryan to share this was, was just how, how um, biblical some of it is. Not only do they actually share Bible verses in it, but, but do you remember when Charlie Brown is charged with going to get a tree, right? Does he get a tree like we have over here and over here? They tell him to go get the biggest, uh, I think uh, one of them says, the biggest pink metal tree that you can get. And what does he get? He gets this, this little shabby thing, right? That, that can barely, if they put one ornament on it, it bends to the ground, right? That That's... It's not only funny, but I think that's really, really biblical. And we're going to be getting into this sermon series starting this week called Unexpected. And I think that, that, picture, uh, that that's a, really a picture of Jesus Christ. Because if you think about the coming of Jesus, we think of Jesus as the Savior of the world. And, and even without a doubt, if you don't believe that, that Jesus is your Savior, you have to at least admit the fact that he changed the world more than any other single human being in human history, Right? There's nobody else who has changed this world more than Jesus, and yet how did he arrive? It was a pretty unexpected arrival, right? It was kind of like that Christmas tree, so small, so weak, so humble. Thank you, Ryan. I'm thinking that from now on I just have Ryan play jazz piano behind all of my sermons. Now, as I said, we're in this new sermon series entitled Unexpected. We're going to be talking, taking a journey through Advent. Who grew up with this word Advent? Okay, I did not. Um, in fact, when I came to interview for this, uh, to, to work at Salem, uh, I first came here as a worship leader, as a musician, and they told me that they needed to get somebody um, soon because... Advent was going to start, and I had to look very puzzled and whisper to Pastor Terry under my, un, under my breath, what's Advent? I said, I had no idea. We celebrated Christmas at my house, but we didn't celebrate Advent. It was basically, uh, you get excited on Christmas Eve, and then you have Christmas. But the idea of it is this, is that this is one of the pinnacles of the, the Christian faith. This is one time of year that the whole world looks towards Jesus. And so we take a little bit of time to talk about it, to explore it, and it really to anticipate it, to anticipate the coming of Christ. And that's what Advent is. And we'll be looking at the birth of Jesus and talking about his coming and how not only his coming, but his life, his death, and his resurrection were so unexpected, so startling. 
so unpredictable that our whole world, our whole civilization was transformed, turned upside down and changed. Get this, it was turned upside down and changed by a poor Jewish child born to an unwed mother in a space not even used to house people but used to house animals. Can you imagine a superhero movie? Who likes superhero movies? Can you imagine if you watched a Superman story, and they all have these, uh, what do they call them, origin stories? What if the origin story of Superman was that he was uh, uh, a minority child born in the ghetto in a doghouse? That would be unexpected, wouldn't it? You wouldn't see that one coming. And I think sometimes we get this idea, we have nativity scenes and, and we have these things, they look so beautiful and they look so lit up. Um, the nativity scene was not this glowing place with eggnog and Christmas lights, okay? It was messy, it was probably very smelly, and it was above all things humble. This is not how I would expect the savior of all humanity to enter into the world. Now, who likes surprise endings to movies? Like twists and turns? I, okay, me personally, I hate watching a movie if I know how it's going to end. I hate seeing movies when I know how it's going to end. In fact, I, this is a disagreement my wife and I have because she can watch a movie and it's just a journey, it's just an experience, and it's an escape, right? That's just, it's just fun to be able to experience a movie. But for me, I hate watching a movie if I know how it's going to end. This is why I hate action movies, okay? I dislike firmly action movies. Just, just your basic uh, shoot 'em up action movies that you would see, Fast and the Furious, that type of thing. Let me explain why. I have this theory, personally, that all action movies come down, to, in the end, to hand-to-hand -hand combat. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. Let me explain this. You always have a good guy. You always have a bad guy. Now, during the whole movie, if it's, a, if it's any kind of action movie, they're shooting at each other with machine guns. They're driving fast cars. There's helicopters. There's, you know, bazookas and hand grenades. And at the end, no matter what's been happening, they throw down their weapons and have a fist fight. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. Isn't that ridiculous? You just had a gun. You just had a car. You could have ended this a long time ago, but no, they throw them down. And, and, you know, these things are so predictable, right? Like, in the end, do you know who loses? No, me. I lose. I lost two hours of my life. And not only that, I, you know, besides the two hours I lost, I lost countless brain cells that just killed themselves because they were so bored in this movie. And not only that, because I had to get through this horrible movie, I, I just ate like a gallon of popcorn and a gallon of soda to wash down the popcorn. So now I'm dumber and I'm fatter and I'm two hours older. Can you tell that I don't like action movies? Okay, back to Jesus. Wasn't that a smooth transition back to Jesus? So... Jesus' birth was anything but predictable. You didn't see this coming. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who he's a great Christian author. I, I quote his stuff a lot. He was actually um, uh, better known at the time uh, as a, uh, uh, an expert in ancient and medieval literature. Now, 
one of the things he said was that he believed that the Bible wasn't just a myth. You hear some people say that. The Bible is just a myth. It's just some good stories to help us get through life, like many cultures have had. You know, these myths that help them get through things and learn basic morality. He said, I don't believe that because from his knowledge of ancient and medieval literature, he said this, that it has to actually be a narrative of some kind, and he believed it to be a narrative of something that happened in human history because nobody would ever make up a story like the one, one we encounter in the Bible. It's so unexpected. It's so far from the myths that we see in other cultures, nobody would break the rules and the conventional storytelling ways of doing things. And he said, this is why I believe that it's not just a myth, that I believe it's a reality. The hero in Scripture doesn't burst onto the scene ready to take on evil with a broad sword and bulging muscles, does he? No. He comes as a helpless child. Now, that is unexpected. And I want to go to the scripture that we're going to be uh, talking about today. Uh, this, is, this is from the second chapter of Luke. And it says this, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Elizabeth, if you know the Bible story, she's not actually, she's not Jesus' mother, but this is another story of pregnancy. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. And we'll talk a little bit about that in weeks to come. But listen to what this says. God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, are highly fa- you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. If you ever, you know, some people want to see angels, and we have these cute things of angels, but in the Bible, angels always draw fear out of people. They're always terrified. It must just be an amazing thing to be in the presence of an angel. But it says this, Mary was greatly troubled at, the, at his words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be, might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor in God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One... Uh, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I pray all the time that the Holy Spirit would come upon me and that would come upon you. Don't worry, you're not going to get pregnant. Okay? Probably. I don't know. So, even as even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, in her, uh, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now this is such an awesome part. This is a little bit later in the same text, but Mary is rejoicing about what just happened. Wouldn't you call that unexpected news? I know you're not married. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the son of God. Unexpected, right? This is what Mary's response is, her emotional response, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble, and he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. What is Mary's response to unexpected information? And here's gonna, this is the question I want us to have, is what could our response be? We're all going to encounter unexpected things over the next couple of weeks as we're leading up to this holiday. And sometimes we, we make ourselves think, oh, this holiday is going to be so great, so great. Is it always so great? Does everything go exactly as planned every single year? Probably not. What can our response to the unexpected be? Um, this is called Mary's Song, and it's, been, it's actually been made into a, a musical song many, many times over. Uh, there's some really good versions of it. Uh, here's my question. Why do people sing? Is it, is it to convey information? Do people sing to convey information to one another? Because it's a pretty flawed way of communicating information, isn't it? Uh, but at the same time, all cultures in all people groups, have sung. And we sing for birthdays, right? We sing for funerals. In fact, um, you know, a very moving thing that I, I bring to mind many times is when my own father was passing away and our whole family was gathered around him and, we, you know, it was, it was really, I mean, it doesn't get sadder than that, but it also doesn't get more beautiful than that when you have your whole family surrounding you and... Um, we were all holding on to him, and my, my Aunt Kathy just started singing hymns. She was just singing hymns over my father as, as he went on to be with the Lord. And it was just singing. We do it at, at such important times. We also do it at unimportant times. Uh, one of the most famous songs is Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Dumbest song of all time because most of the time, when do you sing it? When you're at the ball game. You're already at the ball game. Why do we have to take you to where the place you're already at? So there are some songs that make sense, some songs that don't make sense, but we sing all the time for specific reasons. Mary's response is to sing. And it's really a response. When we talk about this thing, worship, which is exactly what Mary is doing here, she's humbling herself. And really, that's the key to all worship, is that we are humbling ourselves. There's a uh, church... Uh, in, in Israel uh, that is associated with where Jesus was born. It, you know, th this is traditional. We don't know if this is really where Jesus was born, but it's called the Church of the Nativity. But here's a really interesting fact about the Church of the Nativity is that if you want to enter into the cave, so we all say that Jesus was born in a stable or a manger. Um, so it was probably a cave. That's a lot of times where they would keep the animals. So the church of the nativity is basically this little cave area that now they've built a church around. To get into the cave where if you want to meet Jesus, you want to go into where Jesus was, you have to bow down. You have to stoop low to be able to meet Jesus. And that's a really beautiful picture because that's exactly what we're doing when we're worshiping is that we're stooping down. We're getting low so that we can meet Jesus, so that we, we can encounter our Savior. Now, okay, when we raise our hands, the Bible actually does command us in worship to raise our hands. Um, now, so I don't, I don't command everybody here to do this, but let me say this. Um, I was mentioning Bob Goff, who wrote this book called um, um, 
Love Does. He's an attorney at law, and also he has a couple really great TED Talks. Um, so Bob Goff says this. When he has his, um, anybody who's under deposition, they're, they're basically, um, they have some legal issue and they're under deposition. He has them sit with a certain posture when they're, when they're sitting there, and it's obviously a stressful time. And he has them do this. And as, as a follower of Jesus, he said, I learned this in worship, but it's actually borne out by, by um, science that if you're do, holding your hands in this certain position, that you are more receptive to new information, you're more accepting of what people are saying, and then you're, you're, you're basically in a position to receive. So he says that he believes it so much that if one of his clients during a deposition isn't holding their hands like this, he'll kick them under the table to make sure that they do. Here's the thing. Sometimes we don't even feel like worshiping. We might get unexpected news. And the last thing we want to do is sing a song to God. But listen, our devotion is not dependent on our emotion. Our devotion is not dependent upon our emotion. Um, there's a, a famous quote by William James, who was a, a famous psychologist, and he said basically that um, I sing not because I'm happy, I'm happy because I sing. There, there's actually studies that show this, that, that if you, you, you can even make your own mouth do it, you push up your, your mouth and your lips and you smile, you start to feel more happiness. You start to feel more joy. Taking a certain posture often leads you into proper action. Your posture is everything because your devotion does not depend upon your emotion. We see this actually all over Scripture. We just saw it with, with Mary that when she was, I mean, to be honest, that's a pretty heavy load for a girl, probably a teenage girl, um, to be given. She's got the rest of her life ahead of her. She is betrothed or she's intended to be married to this man, and then she finds out she's already pregnant with uh, God's child, and that she will be giving birth to the Savior of the universe. And what does she do? Her first posture is to worship. Her first posture is to get low before God and to worship him. That's heavy stuff. We also see um, in the book of Acts, there's a story of Paul and Silas who are missionaries. They're going about teaching the word of God, and then this crowd doesn't have a re reaction. If you're ever worried about... Um, sharing the gospel with somebody, sharing what Jesus has done in your life, believe me, you don't have it as bad as Paul and Silas. You might get a snide comment or a snide remark or somebody might have a, a, a bad opinion of your opinion. But what happened to them is they're preaching the gospel. They get beat up by the crowd and then thrown into prison. What would your reaction be if you were beat up by a crowd and thrown into prison? To sing? That was exactly what they did. They were in prison. They were beaten. Their prisons weren't as nice as ours, by the way. And what did they do? They were still filled with the joy of the Lord. They were thanking God for getting thrown into prison? That's pretty unexpected, isn't it? But they knew this, that their devotion doesn't depend upon their emotion. That they could worship anywhere. In fact, we know this about at the end of Jesus' life, he was pretty stressed out. 
okay? After the Last Supper, it says uh, that when he went to pray, he was, he was pr- he, when he was praying, it was like sweat dripping down as great drops of blood. And some people think that he was actually sweating blood, but either way, it's painting a picture of somebody who is in great distress because of what he has ahead of him. He knew what was going to happen. And yet, before they go, it says this in Matthew 26, 30. It says, they sang a hymn and went out. Jesus knew, Paul and Silas knew, Mary knew that their devotion did not depend upon their emotion. That in fact, their emotions could be changed by their devotion. That we can be changed when we worship God. And that's why we sing when we're here. Because when we sing songs, it's not about it just making God feel good. It changes us. It transforms our lives. It makes us brand new creations when we sing to our Savior. Now, we have an opportunity right now. There's, there's Christmas music everywhere. I, we are getting uh, just, just so sick right now. My son discovered the pentatonics. And, so that, and we have this thing, um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, this little device in our house, Alexa, okay? And so we always hear, Alexa, play the Pentatonix Christmas. So we're getting that all the time. But here's the thing. We are at a time right now when we are surrounded by pictures of Jesus, nativity scenes. We're surrounded by songs about Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. And this could be a great opportunity for you and your family to share this worship, this, this time where we can go low. Uh, it, it might, in your family, if you don't do it all the time, you might feel a little bit weird about, hey, let's all get together and sing this song about Jesus. But, but we expect this during the Christmas season. This could be a time where you just transform what your family does. And you, you start making your devotion a part of your time together. Where you can be singing these songs, like, like the first Noel, which is just a song giving praise to God, giving praise to Jesus for coming into our lives. And you could sing songs about Jesus with each other and worship. And believe me, when we do this, it's not just about singing songs so that we have this great feeling about Christmas. It's about making much of a God who gave everything to us. Have you ever had, a, had somebody give you a, a gift uh, that you didn't want? How many guys have gotten um, nose hair tr- trimmers around Christmas time? Somebody's trying to tell you something, yes. You might not have asked for that. It might be an unexpected gift. Now, here's the thing. Maybe for you, Jesus is an unexpected gift. Maybe you don't know what you need, that you need a Savior. But let me tell you this. This is what the gospel teaches us, is that we are all sinners, that we are all fallen short in some way. And some people say that the Christians are are really judgmental, and uh, okay, Honestly, some Christians are very judgmental. But, but to call people sinners is not judgmental. It's reality. Everyone who has ever been on this earth is a sinner. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. And in fact, when we sing these songs about Jesus coming to save us, to set us free as a young child, as this unexpected Savior but being born in a manger, we're saying we need a Savior. And everyone in here needs a Savior. And maybe you're going to get an unexpected gift this year. 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And you can accept that even today. You don't have to wait till Christmas. Jesus came humbly. And the very interesting thing I, I talked about action movies, they always end with the hero in a fist fight fighting the bad guy. And he always wins by the bad guy getting defeated. The amazing thing to me about Christianity is that the victory was won when the good guy was on the cross. When the good guy seemingly was defeated. It looked like losing to everyone else, but it was winning. Because when he rose again, we were set free from sin and death. We were a new creation. People um, sing a lot of songs when, when their team wins some, some big game. People will make fools of themselves. You, saw, you see rioting in the street if the Chicago Cubs win something, if the curse is broken. But you know what? How do we react to the fact that a curse was broken for us? That a curse was broken. That because the death of Jesus Christ, because of his resurrection, truly a curse was broken. Truly new life was born out. How do we respond to that? Could we sing to that? Could we lift our hands to that? Are we willing to look a little bit silly for that? I I am. I'm willing to look a little bit silly because Jesus Christ was born. He lived. He died. And I'm new because of it. I'll be silly for that. I'll look a little strange. I'll lift up my hands. I'll worship him because that is worthy of my worship. That is worthy of me going low so that I can make much of a God who died for me. Amen? Now in this action, we're going to take together, uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. This is the ultimate action of going low of stooping down to meet Jesus because I want to explain this. If, if, if you just do this as a religious action, if you just take the Lord's Supper um, because you've always done it, uh, may I suggest this? If that's the only reason you do it, don't do it today. If you just do it because we've always done it, I'm Methodist or I'm Catholic or I'm, I've just grown up with it and I just do it as a religious action, maybe don't do it today. There's nothing wrong with not taking this, but I want you to understand what you're saying when you do take it. When you're taking this, you're saying, I'm a sinner. You're saying, I need a savior. You're saying, I need to be set free. And you're saying, I accept what Jesus Christ did for me. I accept that I am small and he is great and I need him in my life. So understand that that's what we're doing. So I want to pray. And first, I want to pray this, a a prayer of confession, because that's what we need to do before we ask Jesus in. We're repenting of our sins, and we're saying, God, I I need you. And so I want to leave my sin behind and move forward with you. So if you would pray with me. Lord, we confess our sins to you. We confess that we have fallen short, and and many of us in so many ways, Lord, we confess those. And in in a moment of silence, Lord God, we just lift up the ways that we've fallen short, that we can even remember now, uh, the broken relationships, the things we've said that we need to repent of, the things we've done we need to repent of at this time, Lord God. We lift these up to you.